All right, y'all, we're going to be in uh, Philippians, the third chapter. Uh, we're going to read the first through the twelfth verse. Uh, sometimes when, you, uh, when you're a preacher, you feel bad if you uh, read real long passages of Scripture. But uh, that's kind of crazy when you think about it, right? I wouldn't have a problem if a preacher just got up and just read the Bible. And said, amen and dismissed. I'd be all right with that. Because it's the word of God that, that we need. Amen. So, first, I'm sorry, Philippians, the third chapter. And we will be uh, starting at verse 1. I'll be reading out the ESV. Feel free to read along with me. Uh, verse 1 starts, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence. In the flesh also. <laughs> if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee, uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Today we want to tag this text with the title, A Reason to Rejoice. Let us pray. Oh, God, you are awesome. You are wonderful. You are glorious. You are our God. And it is today that we come seeking a word not from any man, not from flesh and blood, but from you. So, God, I decrease that you may increase. And we entrust this word and your people to you. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen. Young sat down. A reason to rejoice. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream to the current ends 
and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and his trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a down bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadows shout on a, night, on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but long for still. And his tune is heard on a distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. Maya Angelou's highly romantic caged bird the poem I just read, first appeared in the collection Shaker, Why Don't You Sing, in 1983. Inspired by Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem, Sympathy, Angelo contrasts the struggle of a bird attempting to rise above its cage condition with the flight of a bird that is free. She seeks to create in the reader sentiment toward the plight of the captured creature. And as I pondered and prayed in my heart what God would have me to preach to his people this morning, in light of Paul's plight as he writes from his prison confinement to the Philippians, this poem by Maya Angelou permeated my thoughts. I thought of Paul as that caged bird because he seemingly has his wings clipped. In my mind, or what the elder black preacher would call in my sanctified imagination, Paul, like this caged bird, opens his throat to sing. However, in this case, Paul does not shout a midnight scream, nor does he sing a fearful trill. Instead, Paul opens his throat to rejoice. The caged bird, Paul, sings a song of joy to this church so near and dear to his heart. If you were to read through Philippians, you would find that Paul uses the word rejoice, if you're reading ESV, eight times, Dexter. And if you're reading the King James Version, ten times. He uses the word joy five times for Dexter and the ESV and six times in the King James Version. Paul, in a prison predicament, check this out, is rejoicing and filled with joy. Paul reminds me of the old church. Uh, when I was in Texas at Holiday Hills, there was a song we were singing. And the song went like this. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This side over here said, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it 
come on. Some of y'all been in church for a little while. Paul sings with great joy from his caged condition, songs that can be seen in the pages of the passages he penned here in this letter. If Paul was around today and he had an iPod or MP3 player, he would have a playlist called Philippians. And I think the first track on that playlist would be Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where he serenades the Philippian church, letting them know that the God who began a good work in them would bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I like Paul's playlist. I like Paul's playlist on this Philippian playlist. I think the the second track would be chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, where Paul rejoices over the fact that everything that was happening to him was resulting in the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing. He was celebrating his suffering and circumstances because his confinement was leading to unbelievers placing their confidence in Jesus Christ. He was geeked up and giddy because his bonds were making the brothers bolder to speak the word without fear. This, this playlist is off the chain. It's, these are my jams right here. Uh, he, track three, track three is, 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 uh, Chapter 1, verse 21, where he sings, celebrating the Christian assurance that whether we live or die is all good because the live is Christ and the die is my. All right, three of y'all know what I'm talking about. The next song on the Philippian playlist is, 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 is oh man, it's, this song is, is off the hook. It went number one on the charts. It's, it's number one on the bill, on, on Paul's, on, on our spiritual billboard charts. It's chapter two, verses five through 11, where Paul is singing of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men I wish I had somebody and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross it's not done there the song keeps going therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus not Ken not Dexter not Donald Trump not not, not Hillary Clinton at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father some of y'all some of y'all like that song right there and then maybe one of the last tracks on, on the playlist was uh, chapter 4 of verse 4 where we kind of take note of the fact that I think Israel Houghton and New Breed sampled Paul because Paul was the first to sing the words, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Oh, man, y'all own it today, boy. I ain't by myself, praise the Lord. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now, when we get to chapter 3, we see Paul dealing with a group of folks who were, and these are my words, y'all, biblically bogus. (laughs) 
and Christologically cray cray. <laughs> like down there, like down there. So Paul gives this church one encouragement, two clarity. Encouragement comes in verse one. Clarity comes in verses two and three. And for our purposes today, a conclusion in verses four through 12. Let's tackle the text. In verse one, Paul encourages the church. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul (laughs) says, finally, and when he says this, it's kind of like the preacher. When the preacher makes you think that he's really getting ready to end his sermon. He says, finally, or I'm about to close. Y'all know he is not about to close. This thing is not over. In fact, we got about 30 more minutes when he says that. This word finally really means let me get on to the rest of it. As for the rest of the stuff that I have to deal with, he says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice. That word rejoice means to be glad. It means to rejoice exceedingly. It means to hail, H-A-I-L, hail in, in intergenerational terms, it, it means if, if you kind of old school hip hop, it means get hype. It, it, you may be a little younger than that. And so if you're a little younger than that, it means to, to get crunk. Now, if you're real younger, you think you're real relevant and, and you're grown and think you're relevant. You know how we do. We want to be cool and we 100 years old. It, it means to turn up. I got some young folks in here. It means to turn up. It, 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 adults, check this out. I'm going to talk to my young folks for, for a little while. If I can, adults, y'all can take a real quick nap. Be right back with you. <laughs> Paul says he wants the Philippian church to turn up in the Lord. Now, young people, the world wants you to rejoice in or turn up in some other things and, and other people. The world tells you to turn up in Fetty Wap. Baby, won't you come my way? He says, turn up in Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and and, and proclaim to the world I'm feeling myself. He says, turn up to Drizzy Drake and and, and make sure you understand what's going on when you hear that hotline bling. He says, turn up with rich homie Quan because he'll make you feel some type of way. But Paul encourages you, even as a young believer, as someone growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, as one who has, whom God has begun a good work in to turn up or rejoice in the Lord. Lord, 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 Kyrios, the one to whom you belong. It, it means the owner. It means the one who has deciding power. It means the master. Uh, who is Paul referring to? He's referring to God, the most high, king encased in glory, the ultimate superior theocratic authority, the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's not talking about the universe, people. He's talking about the God who created the universe. He says rejoice. In the Lord. Now, if you read chapters one and two, Paul's specification on who you should rejoice in brings about some curiosity. It'll compel you to ask, why is Paul putting an emphasis on rejoicing in the Lord? 
when up until this point, he hasn't qualified the rejoicing in this manner. What do I mean? Well, in Philippians 1.18, he says, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. In Philippians 2.17, he said, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In Philippians 2.18, he said, you should be glad and rejoice with me. In Philippians 2.28, he says, I am more eager to send him, talking about Epaphroditus, uh, 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 um, so that you may rejoice at seeing him. But when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, Paul makes it very, very clear that he wants the Philippian believers to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Why does he qualify this statement, rejoice in the Lord? Well, I think the answers are in verse 2 and 3 where Paul gives clarity. In one verse, verse 1, he gives us encouragement, and in verses 2 and 3, he clarifies why. We rejoice in the Lord because, clarification number one, religious works don't make us righteous. Religious works don't make us righteous. Look look at what he says in, in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Keith Quayle, the senior pastor of 4th Memorial Church in Spokane, Washington, and associate professor of biblical exposition at Moody Bible Institute, Spokane, says that Paul discusses the danger of religion and religious people. He begins with a warning in verse 3-2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This is very strong language. Paul doesn't bother with trying to be politically correct. He's not concerned with sparing anybody's feelings. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Three times he calls these religious zealous derogatory names. Three times he uses the word look out or if you have the King James Version, beware. Paul's word to the church is, in the Greek, means see, discern, look out. Look out for these extremists who believe that circumcision and other works were necessary for salvation. Let me say that again. Look out for extremists who believe that circumcision or other human works were necessary for salvation. Paul had, had been sharing a message of faith alone in Jesus Christ in Philippi and these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of flesh had come on the scene and told the church that Paul's message of faith alone in Jesus Christ was inadequate. They insisted that uncircumcised Greek and Roman uh, Philippians were not saved at all. So Paul calls these Judaizers dogs. Now understand something, Paul is talking smack right now. Paul is not being nice. Paul is roasting. Now in our day, in the hood, when a brother sees another brother who he's super cool with, it, it wouldn't be surprising to hear him say, 
What's up, dog? Right? Or if, if, if I'm talking to somebody about, about friends of mine, people who I am near, who are near and dear to my heart, I'll be like, oh, 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 Scott Miller, oh, 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 Stone, Rick, Don, Mike, Abel, Dexter. Oh, they're my dogs. JD, oh, that's my dog, man. But that ain't what Paul's saying right here. <laughs> because the dog I'm talking about is D-A-W-G. <laughs> it's dog. <laughs> Paul, in his day, knows that this is a real slap. Right? Dogs were coyote-like scavengers who fed on road, kill, filth, and garbage. They were vivid images of everything unclean. Rabbis called Gentiles dogs because they did not believe in the one true God, Yahweh. The great irony of this rebuke is Paul turns the table on his fellow Jews and declares, you are the ones who have rejected God. You are the ones who are leading astray, people astray through your false teaching. You are some dirty, low-down dogs. But he ain't even stopped there. He ain't stopped there at all. Anybody went to school with somebody that was always talking about somebody? There's a dude on the front row. I'm not going to call his name. He was one of these guys in school, always roasting somebody. And, and, ne and never stopped. This kept going and going. And, and that's what Paul does here. Paul keeps on going. He, he says, he says uh, 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 these Judaizers, he calls them evil workers. Now, the term worker is typically used uh, in a positive sense uh, of a laborer or a missionary. But here Paul adds the word or the adjective evil to denote a worker who perverts God's purposes. You think Paul finished there? Paul said, nah, I got one more for you. Got one more for you. He says, you Judaizers, Judaizers are mutilators of the flesh. In essence, calling them the false circumcision. Now, this cuts deep to these people because the Judaizers claim the fame. Their greatest source of pride was circumcision, and Paul calls it mutilation. I mean, he lets these guys have it. In our modern-day context, text young people would listen to verse 2, and after Paul got done, they say, got him. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, got him. Oh, oh my God, y'all went to sleep on me. So clarification number one, religious uh, uh, works don't make us righteous. Clarification number two is that we are the true circumcision. We who, we who, who, who are you talking about? We who are genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is referring to a spiritual circumcision, not a physical one. In God's economy, spiritual circumcision has the highest place of importance. It has the highest value. He said it like this in Colossians, the second chapter, verses 11 and 12. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision uh, made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead 
But that ain't all Paul had to say about it. In Romans, the second chapter, verses 28 and 29, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letter his praise is not from man but from God simply put the circumcision true circumcision is a matter of the heart and the work of the Holy Spirit which leads us to clarification number three we who are the true circumcision worship God by the spirit of God again Paul points Inwardly, he points to the heart. He emphasizes the internal act of worship. He points to inward, uh, uh, inward spirit-driven worship as opposed to the legalism of outward conformity to the law. Paul, like it was throwback Thursday, hashtag TBT, <laughs> reminds us of, of what Jesus said to the woman at the well in a gospel according to John verses 4, 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit. And boy, y'all on it today. And, and I know we get excited and, and, and sometimes and, and sometimes we even brag. Y'all know we do this. We even brag on, on our outward acts of worship. You ever heard somebody say, I got my praise on? I ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. That's letting you know how hard I worshiped that day. You know, you you know, you you don't heard people say that, and, and you know, honestly, I really don't have any beef with that. There's nothing wrong with with getting your shout on. There's nothing wrong with lifting your hands in a sanctuary. There's nothing wrong with you saying every now and then when I think about Jesus and what He's done for me. When I think about Jesus and how He set me free, I can dance, dance, dance all night. Nothing wrong with that, but maybe, just maybe. God is more impressed with how our hearts worship him. Every now and then in our hearts, we have to acknowledge like Isaiah that God is high and lifted up. In our hearts, we must be brought low by how holy he is. In our hearts, we must stand in awe of how marvelous he is. In our hearts, we must sing like the songwriter who wrote, Oh, Lord, my God, when in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Can I give you another one? When through the woods and forest glades I wonder and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior, 
God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Clarification number four. We glory in Jesus Christ. The word glory in this text means to boast. Now, here's what I like about it. And I don't even know if I got this right when I looked at it. But the word actually means to boast with or without a reason. To glory is to boast with or without a reason. And like I said, I'm not 100% sure if I, I got this right, but believers should never have a problem boasting in Jesus Christ, number one. We should never have a problem bragging about our Lord Jesus Christ. And we should never have to be prompted to do so. Amen. Want somebody. Think about it. We come to church and, and the worship team has to warm us up. And, and if, they ain't, if they ain't singing real good, we can't even go there. And then you know what we do? Watch. Because remember, it's about the heart. You know what we do? We blame them. Ah, they wasn't on it. That they, you hear that one song? And sister so-and-so, she ain't hit that note right. Mm-mm. Just took me all out of worship. How? How? You got some explaining to do. Because if your worship was an act of your heart, they ain't got to sing a note. Or they can sing the worst notes on the planet because in your own heart, you are singing songs of praise and worship to the Lord. But, 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 but we didn't hit an era where we need cheerleaders. Come on, guys, stand up. Stand up. Uh, okay, so you guys aren't getting it. Lift your hands. Somebody say amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. And if they never told you what to do, we never do anything. Pastor would say I threw that in for free. We... <laughs> I'm going to move on. (laughs) Boast. (laughs) I'm already in trouble. (laughs) Boast in who? Y'all got it right. Extra credit points for everybody. Boast in Jesus Christ. The text says we glory in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Not in ourselves. In Jesus Christ, not in our own assessment of how awesome we are in Jesus Christ, not in how great people think we are in Jesus Christ, not in the fact that thanks to God, by the grace of God, that sin we struggle with is no longer a problem. He says, don't boast in that. You boast in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, listen, don't boast in the fact that you know theology, angiology, anthropology, bibliography, Christology, ecclesiology, eschatology, hamartiology, pneumatology, and soteriology as if that somehow now makes you spiritually superior to everyone else. He says, no, our boast is in Jesus Christ. Because, you know, Christians can make you feel bad. Some saints get a little bit of information. 
And now they walk around and <laughs> do you know about justification? Can you tell me what propitiation is? Talk to me about sanctification. Because now they got one piece of information and now they all that. They spiritually superior to I done heard Christians arguing. Pointing fingers at folks, talking about folks. Why? Because they didn't have all this information that, that they had. And I always say, you remember when you ain't know that? Do you remember there was a time when you didn't have that information? What did you think about you then? Amen. Moving right along. 2 Corinthians 10, 7, Paul says, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Clarification number five. I promise y'all I'm almost done. Finally, my brothers and sisters. <laughs> Clarification number five. We put no confidence in the flesh. We don't rely on it. We don't trust in it. Paul even goes to say that if anybody could, but check this out. I like Paul. You know, because Paul a humble dude. I, I like him. But he, he's trying to set something up. He's trying to make a point. So he says, we don't put confidence in the flesh. He just said we glory in Christ. And then he follows that up by saying we put no confidence in the flesh. Then he testifies. Check it out. Let's go to verse 4 real quick. I had to get my big letter Bible out because I can't see that good. <laughs> verse 4, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, <laughs> I have more. Y'all think y'all all that. Holla at you, boy. Let, 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 let me break down to you. Uh, uh, about your boy right here, Paul. He says, if I wanted to, I could boast in my personal piety or my religiousness. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, partners. He said, if I wanted to, I could boast in my pedigree or, or my relationships. I'm, I'm of the people of Israel, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As He says, I could brag about my family heritage. He says, not only can I brag about my personal piety and my pedigree, he says, I can brag about my performance, which is his reputation. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I'm the real deal. Then he says, not only can I brag about my personal piety, not only can I brag about my uh, pedigree, not only can I brag about my performance, I might be able to brag a little bit about my perfection. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, let me run you my resume. So while you're getting all excited about who you think you are and, 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 and because of all of these things and these, 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 these human, these, these works, he says, let me tell you, uh, uh, if you, you may think you're the man, but I really am the man. But then look at what he says, and this is conclusion number one. He says, man, I look at all that stuff. And verse 7, I come to this conclusion. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul, you mean you uh, 
had personal piety, a, 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 a pedigree, a, a performance that could not be matched, and 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 you 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 had perfection, you had self righteousness. He says, yeah, maybe, but whatever gain I had for the sake of Jesus Christ, I counted as loss. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear it. Unfortunately, I have one of them jobs where you got to brag on yourself. You got to brag about what you do because you getting a check to support your mission depends on who you are and how much success you have. Everybody here pretty much, uh, unless you're too young and can't work, you done been on the job interview. You can't go on a job interview and say, well, you know, I'm really humble. And uh, I don't really like talking about myself. Uh, I really don't want to, you know, tell me something about yourself. Nah, I really don't want to do that. I'm a Christian. <laughs> Why should I hire you? Um, Jesus. Because <laughs> I, I really can't talk about No, you have to go in there and say, well, I, I have a... Uh, um, Two associate's degrees, a bachelor's degree, and two master's degrees. And I've been in the field for 24 years, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I have experience doing this. You have to brag on yourself. So every now and then, because of, of that dynamic, and I'm talking about me, I ain't talking about y'all. If, somebody, if y'all agree, just don't say amen. Just keep looking forward so nobody knows it's you too. I'm just going to put me on blast. Every now and then, I need to hear this. I need to hear that I cannot put confidence in my flesh. I need to know I ain't all that. Because most of us, if we tell the truth, we think we all that. I wrestle. I'm, I'm just telling all my business right now. I wrestle with how often I say, I, me, my. Well, you know I. See, that's why I. Even when we talking about stuff that God ain't pleased with and attitudes God, you know I tell them off. Don't nobody say that to me. <laughs> and some of us, we have stuff that we can brag about. Legitimately. I legitimately got five degrees. Legit. Working on a sixth one. Trying to get that doctorate. And, and, and I remember Pastor preaching about it. He said, uh, ain't nobody going to be calling King <laughs> doctor in heaven. I said, well, not in heaven, but on earth. When I get that thing, I'm going to need y'all to call me Dr. King. I don't care what you call me after that. Just put a doctor in front of it. But look at what Paul says. I count that loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. All your degrees, loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. All that celebrity and celebration that you get, loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Whatever gain that I have, whatever human advantage that I have, I count it loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. You know who I think understood this? But in more of a secular sense, Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross had a song. He, he, it's called I Gave It Up. He said, see, I used to be such a bad, bad boy. And good times were my toy for joy. That was all I was thinking of. But I gave it up when I fell in love. I used to know the party people around the world. I gave it up when I found that girl. And she's the one that treats me good enough. So I gave it up. When I fell in love. And that, that ought to be the testimony of every Christian. That I thought I was all of that. But I gave it up when I fell in love with Christ. I, I thought I had it going on. I was the top dog. I was, I was the chief. But, but, but when I came to Christ, I gave it up 
for the sake of Christ. Paul says, whatever I had that was gained to me, whatever was an advantage or gives me the advantage, I count it, I consider it, I deem it, I think of it as loss, as damage. Why, Paul? Because, here we go, y'all. Paul, why, why? I talk to the Bible, I'm sorry. So when I read, I ask the Bible questions. And so Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I said, why? Why, Paul? And here's what Paul answered. Paul said, because knowing Christ is worth more. Verse 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Surpassing worth means to, to stand out, to rise above, to be over top, to be above, to be superior in rank, to have authority, to have power, to excel, to be superior, to be better than, to surpass. Paul says, my personal piety, my pedigree, my performance, and my perfection, knowing Christ is greater than all of that. Knowing Christ supersedes any celebrity that we might obtain. Knowing Christ eclipses any credentials that we acquire. Knowing Christ is preeminent over any people we are aligned with. Knowing Christ transcends any positions we hold. Knowing Christ triumphs any titles that we get tagged with. Knowing Christ as Lord is more valuable than being celebrated by the world. Knowing Jesus as Lord is worth more than anything you can name or gain on this earth. Nothing compares to Christ. In 2001, a Christian group named, told y'all about this, uh, Justin Timberlake, a Christian group named Third Day released a song that says, I've heard all the stories. I've seen all the signs. Witnessed all the glory. Tasted all that's fine. But nothing compares to the greatness of knowing you, Lord. You don't know that one? Well, Vashon Mitchell wrote a song. He says, I climbed up to the highest mountain and looked all around, couldn't find nobody. Went down into the deepest valley, looked all around down there, couldn't find nobody. I went across the deep blue sea, couldn't find one to compare to your grace, your love, your mercy. Nobody greater, nobody greater than you. Maybe, maybe you old school and you remember this from New City Mass Choir. I searched the world all over and I can't find nobody like Jesus. I looked here and there, still can't find nobody like Jesus. And just to make sure this is an equal opportunity worship experience, can I give you one more? Hillsong said, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. There is nothing in this world. There's nothing that this world has to offer that surpasses the excellency and worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. In verse 8, he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, another version says dung. I heard Hannah uh, say the other day, caca. <laughs> it means refuse, the 
excrement of animals, worthless and detestable. Oh my, oh my goodness. So, so, so my degrees are, 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 are dung. My degrees are worthless and detestable. My, my own self image, my own, what I think about me is worthless and detestable. How I puff myself up and take pride in my accomplishments, I should be counting it as dung. Rubbish. The excrement of animals. Worthless. Detestable. For the sake of Christ, when Paul looks at his piety pedigree and performance, he deems it dumb. Everything that provided Paul with prestige and status, he says is worthless and detestable. Paul's uh, perspective on his religious perfection was that it was as good as the excrement of animals. And then he looks at what true gain really is. For his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung that I may gain Christ. In Paul, he preaches the upside down economics of the kingdom. In the kingdom, in order to save your life, you have to lose it. In the kingdom, in order to be the greatest, you have to be a servant. In the kingdom, in order to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. In the kingdom, in order to save your life, I said it already, but I have to say it again, you have to lose it. And in the kingdom, in order to gain Christ, you've got to lose it all. Everything that you think makes you who you are. Everything that puffs you up and gives you a sense of pride, he he says you have to lose it all. And his final conclusion, for the sake of our message today and and I couldn't do it any better than Paul and so here's the real close his second conclusion was that the only way we can be made right is to be found in Christ it's nothing I can do it's no goodness of my own there's no works uh, uh, that I can there's nothing I could do to achieve righteousness or to make myself right with God and so he says in verse 9 that he wants to be found in him not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him And the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own.